Hey everybody, here we are. It's Voyager time. We made it. We finished up Star Trek Enterprise. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> we got we to gotta get ourselves Sorry. hyped. We got to get ourselves amped because most of our heroes don't mm-hmm. appear on those stamps. And we're going to start talking about Voyager right now, which is the latest Star Trek episode or Star Trek series that we're going to be covering. Clay, how are you? Welcome to Voyager. I'm good. I'm good. I'm ready to do this. Jumping into this new series with an action-packed first double episode <laughs> with one of the most exciting stories I've ever seen in Star Trek. Um, so I'm just—it just bodes well for the rest of the. Uh, and what a good idea of a character Neelix is, isn't he? He just—he doesn't seem like that's going to be a problem at all. <laughs> he wears Quark's clothes and he's got funny hair. But Quark's also in this episode too. But we'll, we'll not get too far into that. We're here with Voyager the pilot episode called Caretaker, which is a two-parter. And I just want everyone to know also this week that this episode is coming out. Picard season two is coming out. And you say, are you going to cover Picard season two? We are covering Picard season two. Aren't you excited? Here's the catch. It's only on patreon.com slash the Penske file. So if you guys are interested in hearing our thoughts about Picard season two, you gotta let it rain on patreon.com slash the Penske file. All of the episodes will be available for there uh, for the people there at the $5 and up tier. So if you want to listen to Picard, $5 on Patreon every month, and you'll get every single episode. Those will be coming out on probably this Friday or the Saturday after the episode comes out on Thursdays. And Voyager, as you're finding out now, is going to be coming out on the Tuesday, I think. If this is Tuesday, that's the day it's coming out. So with that said, let's get into Voyager. This is Caretaker. It is the first and second episode of Star Trek Voyager. It's a double-length episode. It came out on January 16th, 1995. It is the 343rd of right now, as it stands at this moment I'm talking, 829 released Star Trek things. Teleplay goes to Michael Piller and Jerry Taylor. Story credit goes to Rick Berman, Michael Piller, and Jerry Taylor. Directed by Weinrich Colby in Universe State is 48315.6, which is 2371. In this episode called Caretaker, the newly commissioned starship Voyager and a Maquis Raider are flung into the far reaches of the remote Delta Quadrant by a powerful entity known as the Caretaker. So, Clay, I think a good I've got place- some questions right off the bat. Sure. Do you want to talk about the stream quality or the like the, the video? No, no, quality? no. I, I will... <laughs> I will talk about that. Um, this came out in 1995? Yes. Okay. Man, I thought it was earlier than that. For some reason, I thought it was 93. Um, so this is two years after so CG ended, I, and it's like second season, almost third season of DS9 is when this came out. Wow. My understanding of when these shows were on the air is completely wrong, and I've been talking about them for seven years. <laughs> <laughs> this one ended in 2001, uh, which I think is stranger. Like, I, I, don't, wow. I don't remember it running that long, but it did. But if you remember, in DS9's second season, there was a bunch of Maquis episodes towards the end of that, and that was yeah. the s- seeding ground for what Voyager was going to do. I guess, I guess in my mind, I thought... Deep Space Nine started later because when you said this was 95, I was like, oh, I didn't realize that this was actually before Deep Space Nine, but that wouldn't make any sense because mm-hmm. Quark's in the episode. He's yeah. clearly a Deep Space Nine. The place is in the episode. They just liked that a, setting a, and that character quantity. so much. They wrote a whole show around him after this pilot was done. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, it's just, it's so strange 
because to have these shows kind of all running concurrently because it does get a little bit difficult to keep track of them at least in my own head but as i said if i could redo the podcast right. i would watch all the episodes in production order because I think that would be a really interesting, especially mm. around this time where the shows are overlapping with each other. It's probably not interesting in any other other time that this, the franchise is running. Well, once we hit the end of Voyager, we're going to need something to do. So <laughs> back to Enterprise. So just like in just like in the original Legend of Zelda, once you beat the game, it's like now go back and play the same game, except the colors are inverted and it's harder. This is the shadow realm. Did you have anything else you wanted to say about that besides the timeline, or should I get into my my thing here? No, just go for it. So I think a good place to start is we just came off of Enterprise, which we've been entrenched in for a very long time, two plus years, and now we're moving to Voyager. I find it's hard for me to avoid, even if I don't think we're going to talk about this for many episodes how Voyager immediately compares to Enterprise because it was something I noticed quite yeah. starkly how different they are. <clears throat> Same. Um, Voyager feels much more like Next Generation, I would say. It, it's it's mm-hmm. it feels like the earlier Star Treks in a way that Enterprise never really got around to feeling, mm-hmm. which is not a criticism because if Enterprise had done what it was doing better, I might say that's a nice fresh start for Enterprise right there. The thing that mm-hmm. is interesting to me here is that. I don't think Caretaker is a great episode of TV or anything like that, but mm-hmm. I felt that the characters here, I can walk away from Caretaker and give you a pretty good description of what each character is about in a way that I'm not yep. sure after four seasons of Enterprise I could describe Malcolm Reed in the way that I could describe Neelix, Tuvok, <laughs> Harry Kim even is kind of like mm-hmm. well, like blandly well-defined here. I, I thought that... Yeah. The biggest difference here between this and what we've coming off of Enterprise is that it's clearly a pillar script in that he mm-hmm. believes strongly in the characterization of things. And I thought that, if anything else, this this pilot did a pretty good job of showing you what each of these characters are about in relatively little amount of time. And you have a, a solid understanding of where everyone stands by the end of it. Yeah, 100%. Um, I know more about and I don't, I don't mean this just like from an exposition standpoint, but I know more about Captain Janeway as a character in two episodes of this than I know in four seasons of Jonathan Archer. Yeah. Like she, she's very, very well defined as far as what, uh, you know, who she is, what her personality is. She's, she, you know, she doesn't take shit, but she's also really compassionate. Um, a little bit of a chip on the shoulder. It's, with the, the woman thing, she doesn't bit, like yeah. to be called ma'am. They called captain. She is the first mm-hmm. captain to come from a science background, which is interesting. Like they play that oh, up really? a bit. Yeah, right they play that up a bit because she's very technical in the problems that she encounters. She knows a lot about how the warp reactor is working and stuff like that. Um, but oh, that sure, is her sure, background. Yeah. She's not strictly command. She didn't always wear the red uniform. She came from a science background. That's why she's on the captain of this Voyager ship. And, uh, and yeah, I, I just like all of the side characters, I feel like make an impression pretty quickly as far as like what they're about. Um, I mean, Tuvok Tuvok's stands great. out just because, yeah, <laughs> he's, he's a fantastic Vulcan. He's so really good. good. <laughs> this podcast is just going to be me talking about how Tuvok is a better Vulcan than T'Pol was the entire time. My favorite scene... Or, or anybody else on Enterprise. Yeah, anyone Any else on Enterprise. Enterprise. My, my favorite scene in this one is the <clears throat> scene that ends 
the first episode where it's Janeway and Tuvok talking in her, her ready room or whatever it is at that point. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's good Vulcan writing and acting there where he says Vulcans don't worry about yeah. anything. And she says, well, they wanted me to let you know that they miss you. And he goes, he takes a beat and he says, I miss them too. And then just walks out the room and stuff yeah. like that. And it's like, that's good. That's good stuff. And it's, you know, it's a good, I think that's a good follow-up scene from uh, the first scene with the Maquis on the Voyager because it shows the other side of Janeway's character where she has no problem getting up into Chakotay's face and, and backing him down. Yeah. But at the same time, she's legitimately concerned about everybody and getting home because she wants to get home. She's got a dog. <laughs> and a, hus- a husband. She who's learned, watch- who's watching she, learned <laughs> she learned from her history class not to take the dog on the ship with you. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I, I thought that the characters are all um I don't think any of them are particularly cliche. Like Neelix kind of falls into that sort of like tough character that you look at him, you're like, this guy's just gonna be annoying for a while, isn't he? I I really like Tuvok. I think that some of the stronger ones are like Tom Paris surprised me as like he's almost a focal point of the episode. Yeah, I've got some thoughts about Paris. Okay. Um I am interested to see what they do with him, but I almost feel like he might be miscast. Okay. Because I think he I think all of the characters do kind of stand out as fairly unique except for him oh really because he's basically like he's like two create your player clicks away from (laughs) connor trenier basically (laughs) he's got he's got big bruce davison energy Mm -hmm. and the stuff that he's talking about about his past is really cool but i he just looks like 90s white guy actor to tv white guy actor to me yeah like he looks like yeah. he could he has a bunch of episodes of silk stockings in his <laughs> resume you know um and it's just like i'm sure I'll, I'll grow to to like him more but of all of these characters i've so far find him the least interesting mm. uh but i do think his story is actually pretty interesting so i think it's one of those weird kind of things where i don't know if the actor quite jives with with the story yeah of the character, but you know, I'm I'm obviously open to be uh, to be proven wrong here. Yeah, I I didn't mind him. I, I also like his story, and I think that he's a decent enough actor where it can uh, the story the the show can kind of rest on him as a point of view character. From like, it, it's strange. It's either him or Harry Kim could kind of be described as like the main focal point of this one in a way that I don't I don't think Janeway's even that central of yeah. the character. I you know I don't know because I mean I think what they actually do pretty well in this is they don't have a singular audience avatar character that exists through the whole episode yeah. because I think traditionally or a, a, another show would start you off through the point of view of Harry Kim which is basically what they do and just kind of stay there um, whereas this one kind of once he gets onto the ship and you start meeting people, they start passing that off. Yeah. So it's not just him. It's sometimes it's Paris. Sometimes it's uh, um, Janeway. It's really, I would say Janeway, Paris, and Kim are probably the three that they bounce between the most. Yes, as as focal characters. I would. Um, it's funny you thought that Paris was uh, probably least favorite. I think uh, Chakotay stood out to me as useless in this one. Really, like he he's he kind of struck me as a strange character who. You, you kind of feel like he's building 
or he's going to be a different way because he's the leader of the Maquis crew that comes on board. You think he's going to butt heads a little bit more with Janeway? And we don't have to get into it right now, but the show made a strong decision to not have them maintain a Maquis identity by the end of it, which we can talk about in a little bit. But I was surprised that Chakotay is kind of set up as a counterpoint foil to Janeway, but he immediately subjugates himself to her and is like, no, she's right. the captain. We listen to the captain. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, I thought I thought most of the people were good. I thought that the two weakest to me were Belana Torres, um, mostly because her and Harry Kim scenes when they were together was pretty awful. I thought it was like it, that was like peak caretaker yeah. plot, and I didn't I, care. Yeah, I don't even really know what was going on with them. Uh, I was I was honestly during those scenes – I was very distracted by the actual visuals and like quality of the the stream that I was watching mm-hmm. <laughs> because you know this is a an SD show it has not been it's never been uh remastered for HD and I don't know if like you know how you know how you can buy a movie on Blu-ray like let's say a movie like Night of the Living Dead you can buy Night of the Living Dead on Blu-ray fantastic HD copy or whatever but then if you go to Best Buy and go into that like three for five bin, you'll find a DVD copy of, of uh, Night of the Living Dead that was put out by some no-name company, mm-hmm. and it's like $4 or probably even cheaper, and it just looks terrible. That's what this looked like to me. This looked like we we got the entire series for $5 copy of of uh, we did Caretaker. <laughs> yeah, we, <laughs> yeah, I guess we kind of did. We, we got it on sale on Vudu, and... I noticed, well, so I guess that we might as well get this out of the way now. I noticed issues, but I didn't notice the issues you were talking about. But when I went back and watched it after you pointed out what you were talking about, I noticed that in certain scenes, but I just wasn't noticing oh, really? it, the, the rest yeah. of it. The thing that stood out to me was, and I hope this is just caretaker, where it's because, as people were saying on the Discord, they were trying to split it into two episodes instead of a one and a half hour feature. So they had to do some cutting. I thought that a lot of the scenes, especially the ones that were obviously going to commercial were cut as if they were trying desperately to save two seconds on the end of everything. So it was, it would be like the music would swell and it would just hard cut to the next scene and the music would stop and it would, it would not have the commercial in between that would allow you to like to gradually come back into the next scene in that sequence. And it was really jarring in a lot of ways. Like the, the video looks terrible because it's standard definition from 1995 and it's like it's you know it's like five pixels on the screen you can barely see anything but i thought that the the way this was cut together was really odd and amateurish and hopefully that stops otherwise we're gonna have to go to paramount plus and watch it on that after this yeah i the problems i was having was there were these like horizontal kind of like strobing bars that would appear and it happened uh, it happened a lot in the first scene with uh, uh, the Maquis ship flying through the nebula or whatever. And anytime there was like a energy-based special effect mm-hmm. that took up like a solid portion of the screen, I could see it really clearly. It was just like chopping. Right I noticed everything. it in darkness <clears throat> when the Voyager um, when the Voyager uh, gets shot into the seventy light years, thousand light years away, or whatever. When the, mm-hmm. when everyone's picking themselves up and the lights are off, that's when I really noticed it at that point. So it must be some kind yeah. of blacks thing, like a blacks in the image is not really. It was, I, I actually just shut off Discord, so I don't have it in front of me. But one of our 
listeners explained what the what it is. Yeah, the in- and it has something to do with uh, yeah, for, which they did to shows to make them uh, go on older TVs better. But it looks it doesn't work. It doesn't. It makes it look terrible when you upgrade them on when you watch them on uh, HGTV. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so, um, hope, but the other thing, on top of well, uh, yeah, the only thing I was going to say there was there was a couple moments where the I the the mu- kind of like what you were what you're saying about the music cutting and stuff, but what happened in one specific scene it happened twice is you'd have, be at the end of one scene, the music would start to swell. It would cut, not like a commercial cut, like cut to the next scene, and the music, which clearly should have continued into the next scene, mm-hmm. is just gone. There's yeah. there's no sound other than the dialogue, and then the next cut, the music comes back, and it's very clearly in the middle of the music where it should have been. Mm-hmm. There was a connective piece of sound that was gone. Yeah. I don't even know how that happens. <laughs> <clears throat> like, where, where in... Where does that happen? Is that is that, is that how it was on TV when they played it the first time? Yeah, I don't know. Or is this somewhere in in like uh, a shitty DVD crunching right? everything for streaming? Yeah, I don't know. But it was I was I was disappointed in the quality of it. Um, it was it, it it looked worse than I expected it to, and I think that was it's not the show's fault. Uh, I think it's just the encoding or whatever that that Voodoo has was not not great. Yeah, we'll see how Paramount comes uh, paramount plus works on it too i i think it might just be the way the show looks at this point because honestly like voyager is one is the first series to not use 100 percent models in the ships and it's pretty obvious at part like in parts where like when the when the little maquis ship is flying through the badlands or something it looks like a horrible 1995 render of space mm-hmm. and it's like ooh, that mm-hmm. that doesn't that doesn't look very nice at all but We'll see. Enough about that, I suppose. Um, anything? Well, I guess we can discuss more of the characters as we move along. But I guess so, so this pilot is kind of, to me, a tale of two stories. It's the tale of the pilot introduction aspects where you're trying to launch a new series. And it's the tale of the caretaker plot, which is the something that runs in the background and eventually takes over in the second episode. My My big criticism with this one, I think, is that too much time is spent on the caretaker plot and I wish they had not been shot by the caretaker into their action sequence until the second episode. I I was enjoying the scenes on Voyager early where people are starting to come onto the ship yeah. and like everyone's meeting each other. I'm like, oh, this feels nice, especially after Enterprise where I didn't know any of the characters. Everyone seems here to have a point and they're talking to each other and they have interesting relationships. Um, they go to the Delta Quadrant about 15 minutes into the episode and at that point, the caretaker plot seizes control. And I think the caretaker plot feels like three different TNG episode plots that they mix together and they spat this thing out. Uh, it's not very original. I think it's kind of boring. And ultimately, the worst part is that when the caretaker at the very end talks to Janeway and they have their heart-to-heart, Janeway's solution to him is like, that's the obvious solution, bud. Like this is not this is not a profound thing that Janeway is telling you that you just have to tell the Ocampa how to live their own lives and stop caring for them. I was a little yeah. bit underwhelmed by how laissez-faire and and lackluster that was by the end of it. It's just it's kind of a boring sci-fi plot, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. I th- I thought it was uh, unfortunately dull. Um, like I could see this being a plot, maybe a handful of episodes into the first season, but it, it, as a 
let's launch a new show story. I don't think this is it. Um, it also, I was surprised that after so many years of Star Trek watching ships fly into nebulas and whatnot, uh, and mostly come out unscathed, I was, I thought it was kind of hilarious that they fly into this nebula and then they end up in the Delta Quadrant as though they had just been attacked by the entire Borg fleet. Mm-hmm. Like it was <laughs> like the ship, half the people on the ship are dead. Yeah. Um, everything's exploded and on fire and shit. And I, I don't know. It seemed, it just seemed underwhelming it was. for me to it, get to that point. Yeah. It's, un- it's underwhelming is the you way know, they just kind of, yeah, they fly into the purple stuff. And then all of a sudden the screen goes white or whatever, and they they come back and everybody's dead. Um, and it's just like, yeah, I was expecting something a little bit more um, interesting uh, and engaging, I guess. Um, I, I I I guess I would say that for the whole two episodes because I really like the characters. Um, and yeah, I think I think more time spent with them the better in these first two episodes. But I don't know this. Go, yeah, going going to this alien thing, and it turns out oh, it's the it's a farm. But wait, it's not really a farm. It's actually pretending to be a farm based on human memories. Yeah. Okay. It's a bad I've version of the Matrix, times. basically. Yeah. <clears throat> um, the one thing that was kind of interesting was the idea that they were trying to find two life forms that were like biocompatible in mm-hmm. order to procreate that's like that could have been a lot cooler and creepier i think yeah um then uh harry cam looking like he fell asleep on a bunch of gushers <laughs> um <laughs> but it, it's yeah it was just like all the time they spent walking around it was one of those things where it's like what are they what are those what is this driving towards here right because yeah. they spend so much time like walking around with harry and, and balana telling them like the history of their people and all this other kind of shit and it's like what for, for what yep none of this matters like this is not gonna matter and then the k is like is it the case is this the Kazon, right the Kazon are the desert people. is that yeah yeah, is this the first time thing they've been in? Because I've definitely heard that name before. Yes, uh, they're, they're recurring they, villains in the series, but this is the first time we've seen them. Are they on Lower Decks? They might be, as a reference. I can't think of a Kazon character. Oh, okay. Just because I feel like it's a f- familiar-sounding name, but I can't think of a time that we've been, I, it's been in the show. I think but, people in comments and Patreon comments have been saying, <clears throat> wait for the Kazon if you were if you were disappointed by like the Sulaban oh, way for okay. the Kazon, I think is the thing. They're they're generally considered oh, to be under, <laughs> underwhelming characters. Yeah, I was yeah I was gonna say is that sarcastic or is are we actually looking at some good characters no. here based on this? Probably the the former. Yeah, um, yeah, it, you know that stuff was like whatever. I had a lot of questions about that. Like they don't have any water, but they've got like a ship that's five times the size of Voyager. <laughs> Voyager's well. There's a that, good point. So Voyager is kind of unique. Voyager is small. It's not much bigger than the NX-01 Enterprise. It's only got a crew of yeah, 150. Yeah. It's in the Enterprise, I think, had 80-something. The TNG era, the 1701D had like over 1,000 people. So the Voyager is a small ship, really, compared to other things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fast and agile is what they talk about. That doesn't seem to do anything for it. But when it gets sucked out, has new computer systems. That, sorry, I just I interrupted there just to talk about how different the Voyager is than 
the other ships that we've seen. It's small, which is kind of interesting. But it is going against a bigger yeah. Kazon ship for some reason, which looks like a Jawa uh, trash ship from Star Wars. Yeah, it does. Yes. But, you know, like with as far as that goes, I found that a little bit confusing because like the Kazon are these like desert people who are presented to you as like sa- a savage desert race. Yep. But they've and it, to the point to the point where when Janeway showed up and was like, here's a ma- here, I'm going to magically manifest water out of the sky. <clears throat> I was thinking, is this a prime directive situation? Like, what's the do the Kazon? Are they are they a? spacefaring people yep. i have no idea they don't seem like it no they, they give you um, no indication one, that they should be spacefaring but they are yeah and on the one hand i kind of appreciated that where if janeway was like listen we're seventy thousand light years away the federation is not out here let's just do whatever the <laughs> fuck we gotta do to get out of here um but apparently apparently they are spacefaring and they've got a gigantic ship just like squaring the way they were presented on the planet versus the ship that they had mm-hmm excuse me, um, was a little bit weird to me. Um, and yeah, it was just like, I, I don't know. I, I wish they had, I think there's a better story baked into you've got a Federation crew and a Maquis crew that are put together in this situation and they have to work together through their shit to figure out how to handle it. I think there's a story in there that doesn't need as much, you know, recycled B or C level Star Trek stuff. Yeah. I think that it, I think that it runs into a problem here with a, a pilot plot and that like the pilot has to introduce a lot of characters. It has to sort of set up the, the way that the show is going to go. And you have to deliver this interesting plot that ideally I think would combine all of what your setup is in the show into something that really exemplifies what is going on in the show. And I think that the the caretaker plot fails there because I think that the show undersells what happens to Voyager and the decision at the very end about what to do with the caretaker and the Ocampa. So uh, when the when the Voyager mm-hmm. is captured at the very start, as you were saying, it's just like it basically they get hit by that wave, it cuts to black, and then they all wake up and they're like, oh, oh, what happened? I think that when they when you show what happens to Voyager, I think they visually should have really amplified the fact that this thing is going far. Like Voyager is being launched somewhere. Yeah. You know, it's like it's it's so when when you when you get there and they say like we're seventy thousand light years away, there's actually some kind of like visual impact to what that means. It doesn't just sound like Next episode, we'll head home and we'll be home again. And then at the right, very, at right, the very yeah. end, I think that it ultimately fails because I don't feel that the story builds convincingly to this point where Janeway is making a kind of heart-wrenching sacrifice to save these people, but it strands them in this Delta Quadrant. And to come up to your point, I think that what, what should have been happening here is that there are Starfleet characters and Maquis characters I can see Janeway and the Starfleet characters taking this we-have-to-help-this-culture cause. I think the Maquis, even if it's not the way that they've been set up, have to take a counter, we-need-to-get-home-for-our-own-good cause because the Maquis have been fighting for their own beliefs or something uh, and leading to this. They want to get home, Janeway doesn't. Or vice versa, Mm -hmm. honestly. Because, I mean, like, if, if 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 you've got the Federation in that situation... Uh, I, I could see that going the other way where the Maquis characters 
are more compassionate towards the ones who seem like they're fighting and against something and and uh oh, okay and, yeah uh trying to um preserve their own way of life and and the federation is like well no we don't need to get involved here we need to just go home right so i could see it going the other way um Story-wise, that I, has to set the up question the Maquis. That I had. When, like the, the story-wise, the Maquis have to win that argument because they have to get stuck out there, you know. And I, I think that the show wants Jane right. Way to make that decision for them, so she's the one that says we give up. But just to hit it home, my, my problem with the caretaker plot is that I feel that the decision that Jane Way comes to should be like a wrenching. <clears throat> she discusses with the other characters about what they need to do. Everyone kind of has feedback about whether or not they want to go home. Some voices want to go home. Some want to stay. What's the right thing to do? And then ultimately they make this decision that strands them there, but they, they help the Ocampa in a way that I can actually see something. It's not so abstract that I'm like, yeah, I I guess you helped them. They'll be okay going forward. Mm-hmm. It, it needed something more dramatic, well, what, like I needed them immediately to be facing death or something like that. What What are their options at that point? I mean, what's the decision that she has to make? I, I don't I don't remember the exact decision. Well, it would be either they help the Ocampa or like they force the caretaker to. You'd have to build the story in a way that the caretaker can actually be forced to be able to send them home or something. Okay, like that. okay. So this is this is not something that you're saying actually happens. In no, I'm just saying that that in my opinion okay, the plot is okay. lacking because it doesn't have this yes pull yeah. to it. Yeah, I think you're right because I there there is by the end of this episode I don't really know what how how this has really established much for the the series. Other than the fact that in an offhand line, you get like the caretaker equivalent of when Luke flies off and Empire Strikes Back and Obi-Wan's like, well, that's it. And then Yoda goes, no, there is another. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, hopefully they yeah. hopefully they expand on that in the next movie. Um, <laughs> you better find like, that guy. He's like, nah. Yeah. He, he's like, nah, my sister's out there somewhere. And then it's like, yeah, they don't have any other choice. It's either they stay on the planet, which they're not going to do because it's a desert planet and full of war and stuff. Yeah. Or they try and get home. Um, so yeah, it's not really, you're not really presenting these characters with any sort of interesting choice. I mean, I kind of, from that standpoint, I don't totally mind it because I, I do like the idea that they are in this situation, which they, they are completely powerless and it's not, it's not about whether or not they are choosing to, to go home. Or uh, um, it's more about how those two groups of people on the ship clash with each other, and about the methods by which the methods they take to get to that goal. Yeah. Um. Now, I, my question for you, because I'd be curious to see what you think about this, is, um, and I think this is a failing of the episode. One of the reasons I'm asking this is, um. What do you? Th- which series do you think has the bigger Star Trek canon buy-in? Like amount of stuff that you really should know before you start the show. Do you think it's this one, or do you think it's DS Nine? DS Nine. You DS Nine? Okay, I think so. My thought was this one. Okay, my thought was this one only because so much of it hinges on the Federation and Maquis relationship. Yes. That I don't really know if you get a good sense of 
what the Maquis are about. You didn't they read that incredibly fast they, scroll at the start? That told yeah, you that. I know. Yeah, I, I read that. <laughs> but it's like, you know, they talk about that a bit. I've We've been doing this show for years. I still don't 100% really know what the deal with the Maquis is. Sure. Um, That's an interesting question. I just know question. that they're angry at the Federation. Yeah. And, like, by the time you get to the end of this episode, I was legitimately surprised that they went from Maquis guys to, no, we're all just wearing Starfleet uniforms now. I, I was legitimately shocked by that. Yeah. Especially, like, what you're talking about with Chakotay. Chakotay is, is set up as this Maquis commander who then is, like, A, now uh, is... Uh, deferring to Janeway for no reason other than the fact that I guess she's the captain of the ship, yeah. I guess. He buys I mean, into the system, really. That's that's it. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I mean, Paris makes sense that he kind of buys back in because he seems to be kind of, you know, ping-pong in between the things. But, like, it's just, I don't know. It seems like they're taking the interesting element of the concept and really smoothing it out just to make it easy for people who don't know what's going on with the Maquis. Yeah. Because by folding everybody back into Starfleet, you're just doing you're just a regular Star Trek show now, right? Yes. It's not really I mean, I'm sure it'll come up in passing here and there as they talk about stuff in the future episodes. But like <clears throat> I mean, maybe this is just modern TV seeping into my brain when I'm thinking about this. But you would think that they would go I don't know half a season maybe a whole season before you see those guys in starfleet uniforms again you know yeah, yeah. and on the the real world level it was a production decision made at the time rick berman actually made this decision he insisted that they become oh, wow. starfleet uniform wearing uh, by the end of it i i would agree that like to me what makes this interesting i don't think Sorry, I was just going to say, I don't think that that's impossible to do. No. I just think you got to have a barn burner of an episode to get to that point and not have it feel like just lukewarm decision. Right. I mean, if, if they had ignored the caretaker plot for a little bit longer and built up the Maquis and Starfleet differences and and, re, re, and for someone like yourself, reminded you that the Maquis are former Starfleet officers who have given up their oath to Starfleet in order to mm-hmm. fight against the what they consider to be like Cardassian hostilities against their planets and that the Federation sold them out and stuff like that. So what's built into it is the thing that the Janeway decision is that the Maquis should in this episode take an opposite opinion about what they want to do to go forward. And that should be the sort of like Mm -hmm. battle lines. The way that you're saying they end up in the same uniform is that if Janeway's decision is convincing enough that they don't entirely go back on their beliefs, but they they recognize that to get back home, we all have to kind of work together and the Maquis adopt their former uniforms again. That kind yeah, of makes sense yeah. to me. As what as to what you're saying, the the plot is not strong enough to convince me that anyone has been anyone has achieved this goal of explaining to Chicote why this right. would happen. Yeah. yeah, like the only <clears throat> They have conflict. He and Janeway have conflict for about 30 seconds in this episode when they first show up. And he's like, Starfleet, we don't need your help. And then she's like, sounds like you're missing people the same way we're missing people. Maybe we should work together. And he's like, yeah, 
Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. And then from he's just like all in at that point. Yeah. Though so Belana yells and she's like, "What the?" She yells at Janeway. She's like, "What the hell are you doing?" He grabs her by the arm and says, "She's the captain. Damn it, she does what she wants." That's why yeah, Chakotay's so underwhelming like, to me. It's it's just not a good yeah. good characterization for him. Yeah, and like the minute you put them into Starfleet uniforms, you take away any tension that's there. Yeah. I mean, it's I guess it's there. It's implied that it's there because, like I said, they're probably going to talk about it when it comes up when they need to. But, like, is there a more... Uh, I don't want to use the word emasculating, but, like, is there... Is there a, a more uh, homogenizing thing to do to a group of people who are against the Federation or mm-hmm. don't believe in the Federation than for them to shut up and put Federation <laughs> uniforms on? They won't give Neelix one though. They won't. They won't give him a poor, a poor guy a uniform. Yeah, he's, he's I know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. He gets to wear. I, they gave him a gun. Yeah, a phaser. He's they go got down a there and they're in the thing and. <laughs> Yeah, Paris is like, take your phaser out and shoot the rock. I can't believe they gave him a gun. Yeah. Yep. Why did they give him a gun after he lied to them the first time? <laughs> They're like, here's a gun. Neelix is Neelix is interesting because I understand his his point as a character does seem kind of necessary, really, where it's like, we're out here. We don't know what yeah. we're doing. We yeah. need a guide who could be along. It's unfortunate that he is the way that he is, although I don't think he's horrible here. He's mostly, I mostly find mm-hmm. him bearable because in the scenes where he is at his most neelixy, he's balanced against Tuvok, who's talking to him, and it kind of balances out the scene where it's like, okay, this is funny. Yeah. Tuvok yeah. clearly hates him, and he doesn't recognize that that's the case. Those are okay. Hmm. I Neelix is another kind of a thing of that, like, they made a pretty interesting decision, in my opinion, that the Delta Quadrant to this point has been portrayed as primitive compared to the Federation. There are they don't have transporter technology out there, as far as they can tell. Everyone's kind of amazed by that. It's because the the Borg just bought up all the pieces. They took everything. People can't from, go out there and build their own computers. The Borg are building their gaming computers. <laughs> away. The the supply chains are broken down. So. I like. What did you think of that decision? I think that's kind of neat because normally I think the knee-jerk mm-hmm. instinctual thing is that they go somewhere where they are not as advanced as the place that they're going yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. I um, I don't think I totally recognize that that was that's going to be like the the thing. Um, but yeah, that is <clears throat> that is pretty interesting to me. I guess. Um, I'll be curious to see how long they can keep that up. Yeah. With a, without it getting kind of stale, um, but yeah, I do like I do like the idea that they are stuck in a position where they could be uh, prime directive issues everywhere they look. Yeah, uh, but they also need to talk to people to figure out how to get home and stuff like that. So, what'd you think of the prime directive coming into this episode? I feel it's kind of ham fisted, and I don't know if it's really the discussion that they should be having at this point, which is kind of ties into my point about they don't. Uh, focus on the right thing with getting home, which is what I consider to be the the point of this. Like, so so to lay it out before I before we get into the prime directiveness, I would have to re to rewrite this for myself. I would have spent much longer at home in the opening episode where you meet a lot of people. I really like the Janeway talking to her husband thing or whatever that guy is. Mm. If it's not a husband, I like talking about the dog. I like getting a sense that these people actually exist. In they have a home there there is a place where they belong right and what that would do would make 
Janeway's the bad part of the Janeway and Tuvok scene at the end of the first episode where Janeway's like, oh, Harry Kim's mother called me right before we left and said, "Could did she have time to bring him a donut or something? I said, no, we have to go. If they had actually had moments like that where before they separated them, you go, like, oh, there is a family out there. And then to build it into getting home, not being able to get home is actually a real sacrifice that hits you viscerally. Like you, you understand that these people are not going to be going back anytime soon. They basically committed themselves to a death sentence trying to get home. They're, none of them are going to get home by this right. thing. Um, and if they had done, focused on that as the emotional core, instead of turning well, you know, into some kind of prime directive right thing. Now. What's that? What you're describing right now is that episode of Discovery that you hated where they spend 20 minutes writing letters to each other's parents. <laughs> but that's because they didn't make they it jump in, into the future. What was the I don't even remember. What was the decision at that end? Oh, is that jumping into the future? That's what they were doing. Yeah, they got to they choosing to jump 3000 years into the future or whatever it is. Yeah, that's 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 not nearly as as interesting. But I, I think that they get distracted by the prime directive stuff at the end of it. Where Janeway's talking about this for some reason, I don't really understand what it has anything to do with anything because the, they can all fly in space. I don't, yeah. they don't know where they are. I just think that that it, was the the difference. It was a it was a kind of a, a a loose prime directive conversation where the, I think they were talking about the prime directive in reference to um, getting involved with the caretaker's influence on the on the planet yes. or something like that. Yeah, and like yeah, I that's it stood out to me because I was like, yeah, I feel like going down to the planet and bringing. A thousand gallons of water, which seems to be more valuable than gold mm. on this desert planet, is the same level of uh, putting your thumb on the scale as like it's it's still a prime directive thing. Like yeah. you're still in 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 interfering with this with these people's culture. Yeah, it does. It's it does fairly feel fairly ham ham fisted. I think it, I I'd I argue think caretaker brought them into doing. it. Caretaker bringing them into it negates the prime directive in my opinion because it's not sure. your yeah. doing you know yeah that's fair um but yeah i i think it would be worth a conversation worth having if it meant anything to the episode mm. like if someone did call out janeway for that and that's part of the conversation they're having i think that would be kind of interesting but um yeah i don't really know if that stuff is necessarily needed right like um, if it's if it's janeway does refusing to violate the prime directive is what causes them to get stuck in the delta quadrant you know like if there's a sure if there's a, a commitment to principle there which i i, I guess is kind of what they're hinting at but it's not that's a that's tough man <laughs> that's it's a hard argument <laughs> to make yeah that's a hard if you start your new show with your captain stranding an entire ship 75 years from home just mm -hmm. because she doesn't want to yeah. ask a question to a, a a primitive culture i think that's that's a that's a tough buy-in for for your new lead character for sympathy reasons. it certainly is it's i mean we're discussing into what the show could do but if you have a maki crew the show can be an examination of Starfleet values in that sense. Like, so you could almost sure. say that Janeway makes yeah. a mistake sticking to Starfleet values early and it causes them to get stuck there. And then being so far from the Federation, mm -hmm. you're left with this question of what do Starfleet values mean out here? Like, are you willing to die mm -hmm. for these things that don't seem to be doing you any good at this point? Yeah. I think there was space for it. It just never, never came around. So to abruptly change gears, I think, um, I think there's a competition between for the best pilot of these series between Caretaker and Emissary. I would say that 
for what I like out of a Star Trek episode, Emissary is by far the better pilot episode here, where the difference is that I don't think DS9's pilot sets up its characters nearly as well. Odo in particular has that scene where he says, take me to that place because I don't know where I came from and I think I might be out there. And they go, okay, Odo, you come with us. It's really clunky, bad character work, except for Cisco. And Cisco's central yeah. story is the antithesis of what the caretaker central story is, which I, I don't care about the caretaker story, but Cisco's poetic discussion with the prophets about how time and memories are kind of intertwined and you can't, you can't escape your memories. So therefore you're stuck in a circle of time with them and stuff like that. He's dealing with the loss of his wife, taking care of his kid. That hits me in a way that caretaker nowhere near hits me in any kind of way no, that this is supposed no. to be. So, and to, before I throw it to you, that was intentional on the production side. I was reading on memory alpha pillar and really? Berman wanted this to be the antithesis of the, what they said, overly heady, pilot for ds9 which i disagree with they wanted to have this be a romp them shoot em up adventure of a pilot well kind of missed the mark on that one too um <laughs> neelix had a phaser yeah just blast yeah, everything. sure did yeah romp them shoot them up let's walk around in <laughs> white robes for 25 minutes <laughs> they had that loose uh, pilgrim woman who was trying to get their pants off the entire time that's action adventure yeah. right there <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah. Um yeah, I I think that's the biggest problem for me is that this caretaker story I don't feel like reflects any of the issues, questions, conflicts um or values of the concept of the show mm. that they're establishing. It feels completely divorced. It's just it's it's just there to be a mechanic. And, um, like if you, if you get to the point where Janeway's having that conversation with the, uh, the, the blob guy, um, and whatever, whatever they're talking about is thematically relevant to everything that they are now stuck in, that's a different story, but that's really not what happens. It's just like, here's Tuesday. Tuesday on Star Trek, they talk to a a, a banjo playing yeah. blob guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's yeah, it's just it feels like <clears throat> I think it's it's a it's a, a a matter of push and pull with this kind of stuff, right? Where it's like if your character story is a plus, then your actual like moment to moment story doesn't need to be yeah. Hamlet here. Yeah. Um, but I don't think any of them, I think they're all kind of like running at the same speed and it's not really like an interesting speed. Yeah. And so nothing, nothing is, is, is giving room to the good stuff. It's like, it's like, it's like three people standing at a doorway going like, no, after you mm -hmm. and nobody wants to go through the door. It's just like, there's nothing driving the thing forward into like, okay, this is what we're doing. This is the exciting stuff. You're all, you're just kind of like ha hampered by nothing taking charge in this story as much as like i said as much as the character work is good the the characters are there they just don't do anything yeah. with them that that really um moves moves anything along or makes it work uh to a point where like but like by the end of this episode like by the end of this two-parter i should be thinking man you got a crew of people 
who are on two sides of the equation here, two sides of the fence. They have to work together. I can't wait to see what these guys are going to have to do to work together to get home. Yep. And that's not it. It's just like, yeah, we're all kind of cool with each other. Strap in. It's a long ride. Yeah. Yeah. We'll I, stop every now and then for to go to the bathroom. <laughs> that's why it takes longer than 75 but. years or whatever. They're not going peak speed that whole time. Yeah, I think that to me, I, I walk away from DS9's emissary pilot going, it's the story of a man who kind of thought that he lost everything and had given up on life in a lot of ways, being reinvigorated for mm-hmm. this new phase of his life. And that's where the start is. And I think that that's the emotional core sure. of DS9's appeal. The Voyager one, I think... I can't believe they call that heady. I know. There's nothing more emotional than my <laughs> wife is dead. And my it's wife was killed by the actions... <laughs> Yeah, my wife was killed. My son, my son lost his mother due to the actions of a coworker as part of this thing that I've given my life to, and now this guy's sending me out to fucking nowhere to say like this. I think it's pretty easy to buy into to that one it, it as is. to what the emotional stakes are. Here. I, I disagree with their concept of heady. Although if they think this is a romp, I'm shoot 'em up adventure. I would disagree with their understanding of what that is too. But I, I think don't worry. Don't worry. They figure it out by the time Enterprise starts. <laughs> Fair enough. Pillar's gone by then. It's just Berman. Um, so I think that... He was holding me back. Just, just, <laughs> just to wrap it up for the Voyager thing, to me, that emotional resonance to match DS9's resonance and make me care about it really needs to focus on the sacrifice of being stuck out there. That's key to me. Like Even more than the Maquis mm-hmm. and the Starfleet disagreements about things, it's the, it's the fact of... We just we took the engine out of our car and we're 300 miles from home. Like this is too bad, but let's put a brave face on and move forward and stuff. That would have been what Voyager needed to do, in my opinion. You said that Q plays a large role in this series. The first time Q shows up, does Janeway go immediately? Go, hey, can you transport us back home? I, would, I know that you can do that. I have to assume, <coughs> and he must have a good reason. I mean, he doesn't. He'd have to do it. I, I wonder <coughs> what that conversation goes like, though. So we'll say, yeah. yeah. I actually don't know. Like again, I'm fairly unfamiliar with the series. I know that the caretaker mentions his sister or something, and then Janeway at the very end goes, "We know there's another being out there, just like that guy who can do things like that." I don't know if they actually meet this person. I'm not sure they do. It might just be an oh, idea. Great. It might just the, be a pilot thing that they have. I don't. The core, the core MacGuffin to their series never gets brought up again. <laughs> awesome. It might. It, it it has strong. This is one of those pilot thing vibe vibes for me. It's like, yeah, we'll we'll let the audience know that there's something out there that maybe we can run into and we'll see. But yeah. So let's do a. Um, it, it, I I actually in that moment when they were when she was saying that I did find that strange because she's like there's another thing out there that could possibly transport us home we're going to find it mr paris set a course for home <laughs> is, is, is that the right way I better hope that he's what, in that direction <laughs> what's what's a better use of time just driving towards home or actively trying it's going to take us 75 years to do one of them we may as well waste a handful of years trying to find this other thing maybe it'll zoom us home fa- i don't know yeah. you're the captain before we go, we'll do like a little bit of a lightning round because I have a bunch of beats I wanted to ask you about. But uh, so with the close of this pilot, what's your sense of the setup? I like Voyager's setup. I think it's a really good idea. I think that this is a good idea for a Star Trek show mm-hmm. to divorce yourself from everything, to separate yourself from home. 
Um, I think the execution is a little bit lacking, but I do think that the, like this core idea of a series is as good or better than DS9s or Enterprises or anything like that. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's a great setup. Great idea. Um, I Just a couple stray things that I noticed. Um, entirely human crew when they launch, which I was I don't think I, we've seen in a while. Yeah. Um, yep. Until they pick up the uh, the Maquis, everybody on is human. I actually, the guy, the the doctor, <clears throat> the original doctor, the human doctor, and the guy who was the f- first officer, 100% thought it was the same actor I know. wearing two different <laughs> uniforms. You called Tom they Paris generic identical. white guy. That, those, those two are yeah, the same, yeah. same haircuts. <laughs> they die the same way. But, uh, but yeah, I, I yeah, I think it's a great setup. I I just think that they I'm actually a little bit surprised that they it's they go so light on it in the first episode because it feels like the kind of thing that you would lean into like really heavily as a hook in your first episode and then like things kind of even out as you go. Yeah. But this one they just iron everything out real quick and so yeah, I'm I'm the whereas pros. these guys are pros. They yeah. just they know this yeah, kind of stuff yes. happens all the time. Yeah. Gene would have loved it. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, I watch the pilot for Discovery and I get kind of excited about the possibilities of where it might go only to be disappointed later. Maybe that's it. Maybe they're just saving my own mm-hmm. emotions by just <laughs> getting it out of the way quick and be like, this is not going to be as cool as you hope it's going to be. So just buckle in for mid-range Star Trek <laughs> for seven seasons. Why not? Lightning round. Are you ready? <clears throat> Yeah. We'll try to get through a couple quick things. Uh, did you listen to the intro and the music? I did. What'd you think? Um, I listened to it both episodes. And the first episode, I thought, oh, wow. Okay. That's a, gr- I re- that's a good classic Jerry Goldsmith Star Trek theme. I like it. Second watch through, I kind of feel like it's the wrong tone. Mm, Why is like that? I, they all, well, you know, all these Star Trek shows more or less have the same tone to their theme song. Um, well, I should say it's a similar tone to me as Deep Space Nine. Oh, okay. I would and disagree. Yeah. I might I might be misremembering the Deep Space Nine song. Um, and it also is weirdly a similar tone to the theme from Enterprise. I know that sounds weird to say, but like it's a certain kind of like, they all have that certain like look up into the stars kind of tone optimism to the song yeah whereas i feel like something like voyager needs something a little bit with a little bit more juice to it to kind of support the uh i mean maybe it's the show i think it should be in my head but yeah. like for this kind of thing where it's like they're out of their element they're trying to get home they're trying to figure out what's going on two clashing people working together it feels like some it should be a little bit less just star trek because it's a very star trek opening it is and it almost feels like obviously not to the extent that they do this on this show but it almost feels like they should have something closer to lower decks where instead of just doing the usual um you know sweeping shots of the ship gliding through you know past a a sunspot or something yeah it's a little bit more hectic Hmm. but uh but yeah, that was a long answer for a lightning round question. Yeah, I, I think I like the Voyager. I think if I was not watching anything and I had no attachment to the series, I think that the Voyager theme song is my favorite of the Star Trek theme songs. I think it's the best. I think it's that, a good song. Yeah, I think yeah. that it. What I think it does is it captures the optimism optimism of a journey 
in that way. Like I think the song thematically matches Voyager quite well when it's coupled with the images too, which is the ship sort of flying through strange things and going somewhere that you're not mm-hmm. really sure. Um, DS9 I think hits me better because if you, yeah, I would describe DS9's theme as more somber and it's more of a like sure. thoughtful kind of theme. It, it's slower. It's not as bombastic. Um, I really like the, I, I just really like the imagery of panning around the station and looking at the station as the song plays. Mm. I think that's neat. So DS9 is my favorite, but I understand people liking Voyager quite a bit too. So second lightning thing, the doctor character, we didn't talk about him at all. Thoughts on doctor. Mm-hmm. Love the doctor. I've always liked him, uh, in this cat. I was actually the first time I came across this actor and every time I see him and stuff, I, I like him. He's a really great character actor. Um, and they at adding the element into it that he just wants to put someone to shut him off and yeah. no one will shut the program off yeah. when they leave is great. It's a it's a great idea for a character. They don't great way to uh to to kind of mix up the 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 standard doctor trope. Yeah. I I think he's the most original character concept out of everybody. Yeah. Um he, he's a pretty yeah. unique construction. I like the fact that they they set him up in a way that is not heavy-handed, which is that no one listens to him and they tell him to deactivate whenever they don't like what he's saying, which is a, a really good... There's a lot. Of, there's clearly a lot of places to go with that, right? Like, the he will eventually become a respected character. He has to be, because they can't just spend right. a series telling yeah. him to shut up or whatever. Um, I can't wait till someone eventually falls in love with him. That's going to be a good one. Yeah. The the last headline. You know it's going to happen. Yeah. The, well, the last headlining character uh, is Kess. Do you know who Kess is? Uh, I no. I mean, I know who the character is in this episode. I hope there's a black goo monster somewhere waiting to meet her. <laughs> <laughs> I I just uh, <clears throat> she seems a little superfluous right out of the gate, but yeah, not a not a great personality either really um and when you're just netflix netflix is when you're when you're neelix's girl <laughs> when you're neelix's girlfriend it's not a great place to be starting off on but that's that's actually why netflix doesn't have the show anymore i know it's because they asked this. to digitally change it so <laughs> neelix's name is now netflix yep for brand synergy <clears throat> they said no favorite character so far um you know, honestly, <clears throat> it's kind of a hacky thing to say maybe, but I really like Janeway. I mm-hmm. like her a lot. I think they uh, do a great job of establishing her as a character who is – establishing her as a captain who is um, – as as that video said, in the, in the illustrious tradition of Captain Kirk <laughs> and Jean-Luc Picard, but also is very clearly her own character. Like she doesn't feel like she's a carbon copy – of uh any of the other characters um i think she's got a lot of she's got a lot of personality that comes through her very kind of like stoic front because she does a great job of kind of relaxing that a bit when she's not on the bridge yeah which i think is is a really great way to play it um yeah i like her a lot so far my favorite thing about jane is that after voyager gets knocked back and she gets up and her hair is all frazzled when she cuts to the next scene, mm-hmm. she has tightened her bun considerably, and it's just, she's a no-nonsense captain that way. I like Jane Way. I think that she does a good job of... It, 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 I get the sense that Jane Way is trying to prove to everyone that she's a capable captain because she's extremely mm-hmm. 
um, rigid when in command, but when they have those private scenes, she lets her true self come out in those moments. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. like Archer never had that. Archer's just the same character, no matter what the situation is. Picard doesn't real Picard is always kind of reserved like that, and Cisco's more enigmatic, and it's hard to tell where he's coming from a lot of the time. So Janeway's unique in that yeah. regard. Tuvok's my favorite. I, I just like Tim Russ's performance. Yeah. I think yeah. the Tuvok is very funny. Um, I think that the lines he has there are great uh, for Vulcan and stuff like that, and he's he's just been a nice uh, change of pace. Um, happy to see Quark in the opening. I miss Quark. It's good to see Quark again. Yeah, that's that was a good Quark scene. I really like that scene where he uh badgers Harry Kim into him by uh <laughs> accusing him of racism. <laughs> I'm glad somebody called it out because I've been saying for years it's like, oh, it's a Star Trek. There's no racism. Everyone is racist towards the Ferengi. Yep. Yeah, apparently they teach it at Starfleet Academy. <laughs> <laughs> that's literally institutionalized racism right there. Yeah, yep. I like that. It's it's good mm-hmm. to see him too. Um I think it's always a smart idea for these shows to start their pilot with a more established character and an actor who's familiar with playing the role that can help people get into into the swing of things. It's good to see DS9. Are you surprised it was Quark? A little bit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have cared if there were other DS9 characters who showed up too briefly, ever so briefly, even if they're just walking by or something like that. But um, Quark is not my favorite DS9 character, but it was kind of nice to see him again in a way. Like mm-hmm. he's... He's been the kind of character we've been lacking in Enterprise for a long time where Quark is well-defined. Like, you know what he is as a character. You know you know who would have been nice to see only because it's a Maquis heavy show would be Garrick. Yeah. Because they talk about the Cardassians, but they don't actually, like, you know, show you one. Yeah, they're just on the view um, screen. But I mean... The Maquis ship is the only one. Yeah, but it's just, I mean, you know, that's getting into that's opening a can of worms that this episode is clearly not i mean frankly the show seems to be not interested in getting into which is why i, I find it so frustrating because it's like your your concept of your crew is a directly addressing these things and you're choosing not to address them with the show itself well that's what's so interesting is that the maquis were created to kickstart voyager the, the whole purpose of sprinkling them into tng and ds9 was to give Voyager a foothold that it could launch itself from. Oh, really? And DS, like, if you just watch the series, it seems like they're a DS9 creation. Like, DS9 actually did yeah. stuff with them in yeah. a way that the other shows never did. TNG was kind of just wishy washy about it, but I don't know. If you got to kill, if you got to kill a transporter clone of yourself, you call the Maquis. You do. You do. Absolutely. Um, let's see here. Do, 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 Caretaker, Chakotay, Tom Paris. I think that's everything. I think that's all my all my quick hits. So unless you have anything to say, I guess we you can know go what to I patient thoughts. <clears throat> I was just going to say uh, a little bit of trivia that I I found out today. Uh, Roxanne Dawson actually used to be married to Demar. Yes, I read from that Deep too. Space Nine. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> His name is uh, Casey Biggs. Casey Biggs. Right? Casey Biggs. At Casey bat. Biggs. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Divorced well before either of them ever entered the Star Trek universe. I know. They should have just paired them up. If I was a producer, that's all I would have done. If I know these people were exes, <laughs> just be like, get DeMar, get DeMar on Voyager, and we'll see what we can do with that. Also, it's, The fans are going to love it. The fans who know your relationship history of these two <laughs> actors before the internet exists <laughs> from the mid-80s. Oh, my God. The fans are going to lose their minds. That's it. 
Thank you for everybody for listening. We'll go to patron thoughts shortly. But I just wanted to remind everyone that this show is only possible. The way we're doing Voyager covering all the episodes is because of the support at patreon.com slash the Penske file. It's much appreciated. It keeps everything going. You're going to have access to Picard season two, our coverage of every single episode of that mm. only on patreon.com slash the Penske file. So it's a good reason as any to sign up and you can thank everybody else who has got us to this goal level that makes us do all the Voyager episodes. If we fall below it, we're going to be skipping some Voyager episodes. So it's up to you to keep us above there. And then we'll be all happy. And you'll get Picard episodes, too. Thank you, everybody, for being so generous and supporting the show. It does mean a lot, and it shows that you actually care about what we're talking about here, which is still surprising to me on a daily basis. If we uh, if we ever do a live show with a crowd, the opening is going to be everybody turning to each other like Catholic Church and shaking each other's hands. <laughs> saying, Thank you. I hate that at the Catholic mass weddings or whatever it is. It's, it's the most uncomfortable. So I understand this is the point of the religion. Just making friends, man. <laughs> Peace be with you and also with you. <laughs> just looking deeply into the, the guy behind you's eyes and just saying like, "Peace be with you." And happiness with you. It's it 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 was always it was always my least favorite and favorite part of the thing because it's like I don't want to talk to anybody so I don't want to do it. Yeah. But then once you start like looking around at people just half assing their way through <laughs> it's the when you have to the the extended one where it's like you gotta shake hands and say and then like people talk to you. I don't I don't have any interest in that. Yeah. What I like is like the is the the dad who came with the rest of the family to church thing where he turns around <laughs> just kind of mumbles the words and just gives you like the two finger yeah. the two finger handshake which is like the, yeah like the slight the slight tap like you're handing off money to an informant yeah i didn't grow up with it so it's all really strange to me the strangest thing to me about catholicism is during i only know it from really the weddings it's all i've been involved in is that a your weddings are too long, Catholics. There's no reason for an hour oh. and a half wedding. It's absurd. Brutal. And Brutal. The fa- I, what I really love about it is, having not grown up with it, is when the priest is doing his, like, his thing, he'll say a bunch, he'll talk for like a paragraph or two, and then he'll pause. And to me, it seems like there's nothing to say, but everyone will just go, so say it the snake who came down with the spider and fell on the apple. And it's like, oh my God, everyone said that at once. And then the priest continues on with the next thing. And then it goes back to like, yeah. the cloud came down and then there it was is. this and he says, so with us. And it's yeah. like, wow, this is incredible. Everyone knows the words. I don't know any of these words. It It is kind of weird how a Catholic mass goes from like, oh, this is kind of pleasant to everybody knows these words and they're saying it like <laughs> silently under their breath. And it's kind of creepy. It is. But yeah, yeah. I, I actually, um, I, I still have catholic wedding ptsd uh i the first two weddings i ever went to were from two of my uh uncles and um their weddings were both i think both catholic weddings and they were the longest things i've ever sat through so much so that at one of at one of them the bride passed out Mm. like in the middle of the very long thing yeah but uh so my PTSD from from Catholic weddings is now anytime I go to a wedding now, when it's over in like fifteen minutes, I go, oh my god, I I thought we were going to be here for an hour and a half. <laughs> I didn't know weddings could be that short. So it's great because yeah. I'm always always pleasantly surprised when modern weddings are like basically the spaceballs wedding when they're like, do you? Yes. Do you? Yes. All right. Great. Yeah. It gets to a point with those kind of weddings where I'm like, guys, you didn't even even have to pick a poem. We could have just come in here and shook hands and you guys are man and wife. We'll we'll get the hell out of here. Yeah. No, the only, I've been to a lot of Catholics and a few um, evangelical weddings. And I guess the difference would be that 
they're both like the same amount of time. It's the same amount of like people saying stuff, except there's a lot more uh, hatred of gays and people who are going to burn in hell in evangelical weddings. I'm always amazed when the priest decides that this wedding is the time to start talking about this stuff. It's like no one told this guy to just get the fuck out of here. It's so, so crazy. To I me. can't. I can't say I've ever encountered that. Yeah, we we <laughs> have some. Amy has some to. evangelical uh, friends that did the whole thing, and it's mm-hmm. it's definitely the priest is like he's he's got some thoughts. <laughs> this wedding is the place to say them. So good for them. Anyway, caretaker, thank you for supporting the show on patreon.com slash the Penske file. And now, well, first we thank the patrons. I feel like we haven't done a Star Trek episode in so long. A special thank you goes to our captain tier patrons who include Ben Douglas, Targ Latif, Andrew Sherlock, Joy Mango, Kyle Barrett, Mike Barnett, Christian Pouch, Michael Pond, Matthew Ross, Matt Cutler, Brandon Howells, Nick Sergio, Jim Samdo, Sean, Bradley Killens, Dwayne Hackett, Vault 13 Hero, Kevin Ray, Darth Moss, Jordan Cooper, Russell Elch, Stephen Minton, HH28, Derek Zajac, Paul Roscoe, Jacob123, Patrick C. with Poindexter G, Dave Davies, Nick the Rat, Captain Brazen, Eric Antoine, Jakey's Gamer, Kevin Larry, Grappler, John Zorn, William Seisler, Rahan Jaffer, Soylent Blue, Zane Majors, Olivier Pardur, Tom Hickey, Jose Hunter, ZWNF Remixes, Diz Brada, Captain McMunchausen, James McLennan, Ed Mark Starr, Jonas, Tommy Tango, Tuvix Must, Tuvix Must Die, Chris McLaughlin, Royo, and Rage Against the Machine. I don't care for Tuvix Must Die. I guess that's Tuvix, not Tuvok. I'm getting ahead of myself. Thank you, everybody, for supporting the show. It's much appreciated. So we got a lot of comments here, Clay. I'll try to read a couple of them. And okay, we can get some, do it. Some thoughts here. You can, um, you can rest your eyes. Norman Buckwald says, Caretaker. So out of the series pilot so far, this is probably still the best one that introduces a whole slate of characters. As good as Emissary is, is it doesn't do a good, as good a job. Given that, this pilot already has within itself a continuity issue, i.e. what happened to Harry Kim and B'Elanna Torres' fatal condition? It's a good question. Great question. Don't expect more about Chakotay owing Paris one. And of course, boy, did all those Maquis don on those Starfleet uniforms fast. Still, it's a good introduction and much promise to the slate of characters. Four water vats out of five vats. Eric Antoine says, Mm. I think this is the most solid of the Star Trek pilot films, maybe because it was the third time at bat and they'd ironed out the kinks. The cast is good and they all seem to have good chemistry. Kate Mulgrew makes a very strong impression. Tim Russ is an excellent Vulcan, maybe the best since Nimoy. And Bob Picardo is always wonderful. Right now, I'm liking Neelix and Kess, but only right now. Dawson, Beltron, and McNeil are fine, but nothing to shout about. And Harry Kim? Well, I often forget the character exists. But overall, at this point, I basically like the crew, and it looks like it might be fun to follow them on their journey. Spoiler warning, this feeling doesn't last very long. Buckle up, gentlemen. <laughs> Alex says, Voyager was my first real foray into Star Trek when I was growing up and holds a special place in my heart for that reason. However, I started watching it in season four and five, perhaps the pinnacle of Voyager's run. If I had started from the beginning and with the caretaker, maybe I'd have given up and watched Babylon 5 instead. I always hated the boring Deep South Barn scene on the caretaker's array and the scenes of the crew escaping from the underground Ocampa City were the least exciting escape ever. The Kazon are a poor man's Klingon, and what was the caretaker doing to the crew it captured? Inseminating them to create some kind of new hybrid children who would look after the Ocampa? Character-wise call-outs, character-wise call-outs Janeway is great from the start. Tuvik, Tuvok is the... Tuvok is the best Vulcan since Spock straight off the bat. Tom Paris adds some initial humor, but always seems to buy the book for a criminal in this first episode. The Doctor's textbook TNG era character looking for their humanity with a pinch of McCoy grump. Two Talaxian bubble baths out of five. Yeah, I think he mentioned something that I that I think is missing. You nobody on this crew has an edge to them any really. Like yeah. by the end of this episode, everybody's kind of like on the same page. And I think there needs to be an, 
an element of if not not straight up chaos it's just something that feels like there's gonna be the there's oil in the water to some extent yeah. you know what i mean yeah because it's just like yeah paris is a criminal who's got a really dicey past about jumping ship but as soon as he's back on the con he's like well great to be back in starfleet they spend um, a lot of time with Paris, Chakotay. too. He's the, he's the introductory character yeah. that sort of sets the stage with Janeway about it, and he just eventually... I wouldn't say they do a terrible job because I'm, I'm fairly certain that his point is to be a man who's kind of caught between worlds. He doesn't really know whether he's a Maquis or Federation sure. person. Yeah. I, I think that comes across slightly, to his credit. Yeah. But yeah, you know, and like, you know, we don't really get enough of Belana Torres to no. see where she's at. Uh, and Chakotay is at least in this episode, not really pushing back too much. So there's, yeah, there's just nothing. I I want to say it needs a Garrick type character, but maybe not as, um, not quite as uh, unpredictable as that, yeah. but just something, yeah, duplicitous, a good word, uh, but just something to kind of show that there's going to be some, some stuff, some ideas or, uh, actions that are going to be uh, mixing things up a bit. Yeah, I mean, what's funny is that for as novel sounding as the idea is like a Maquis and a Starfleet crew stuck somewhere, you know, DS9 was kind of the same thing. It was Starfleet officers coming in with mm-hmm. Bajoran forces that were already there. So it was like Odo, Quark, Kira, characters who weren't Starfleet members or Federation members or whatever. Um, and I think that that show is better set up for it, but that show... That show, I thought, believably played those two factions against each other. And, and if, right. if not against each other, there was a difference of opinion with those characters where things would be different for Kira than they were for Cisco and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. I think Voyager yeah, would that's have what, that's, I shouldn't say. I shouldn't say Garrick. You need a Kira in the show. Sure. So, Or a Kira, but also a Kira, like actually <laughs> like from the, the, the anime. That would be pretty cool. Janeway! But you know what I mean? Like... <laughs> Chakotay! Chakotay! <laughs> he does have the better um name. but but yeah i think you need a kira type character who is like she's on the team but she's got some she's got her own agenda yeah. in some places yeah and i think having two or three maquis characters would have would be a, is a good setup for that but if they do that great but it doesn't feel like they're going to do that so Let's see. The next comment is, I'm sorry, I lost here. Poindexter G says, Voyager's pilot has a lot of things to do to set up the show, introduce characters, get everyone to the Delta Quadrant, tell an entertaining story. Uh, and how well it does all those objectives varies. It spends quite a bit of time with all the characters and gives us a very solid Trek-style mystery. The welcoming party upon arriving in the Delta Quadrant has a very original series vibe to it, and the caretaker's inability to give a straight answer seems very much like the kind of crap Captain Kirk always had to deal with. Where it really starts to falter is in showing us the Kazon, the Ocampa, Ocampa, I can't remember if it's Ocampa, 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 I'll say, and the caretaker dynamic, having literally everyone except our heroes being uh, that irrational starts to get old pretty quick. It makes Janeway's decision at the end, the most significant she do- thing she does in regards to importance in the series, really lack any punch because we honestly don't care about any of these people. And as she honestly never heard of a fuse. I agree with you about the point of Janeway not landing. 
Latte Librarian, good to see you, Latte Librarian. It's been a while. I think you gave up on Enterprise after a couple seasons. Uh, Caretaker, love seeing Quark again. Aside from some less than tasteful jokes, this holds up as an okay pilot, which is about the best you can expect from a Trek show of this era. I like Janeway's discussion with the caretaker about how children have to grow up. However, it does seem like they could have just left a bomb behind to take care of the array. Also, my mother watched this show in the first run and has said, quote, it's horrible, it's bad, it's not worthy, end quote. And she felt betrayed that the first woman captain was for such a terrible show. Three underground cities out of five. Eric McGowan oh says, West may stand... endorsement. <laughs> we'll bring your mother on the show to, to see her opinion. Is- yeah. yeah, let's get her on. <laughs> Eric McGowan says, West may stand by emissary as the best Trek pilot. I do. But I have always preferred Voyagers. The overarching plot is only functional, but as a pilot, however, it does a great job introducing the main cast and giving everyone something to do and setting up potential threads for the series. It also does well at establishing the remote, hostile, and strange setting of the Delta Quadrant. This is always the Trek show and pilot I show to non-Trekkies and has worked every single time. Five sporocystian life forms out of five. I don't remember that word from the thing, but I'll take your word for it. That is interesting about this working for people. Yeah, that's really fascinating because I, I mean, I guess maybe that answers my question about how much buy-in you need to get on, on board with the show. Maybe it's less than I think. Yeah. So you're, you're saying the, your buy-in was the Maquis, understanding what the thing is about the Maquis? Yeah, because it, it seems to be the, the one series that is rooted in like specific sequel canon type stuff do you whereas enterprise is you know oh what happened before captain kirk and tng is what happened after captain kirk and deep space nine is we're on a space station well Uh, i mean for ds9's case do you do you think that if you don't know the borg and picard does that really lessen the impact of that opening for you like i i think you can understand what it's doing but yeah yeah Maybe a little bit. I mean, I think you can, you, you know, his wife dying is pretty universal. Yeah. Um, I think you can understand it if you didn't know scene. Picard. Like, you, I don't think it would yeah. have. Because what I think is so effective is that the Picard stuff in DS9 shows you that this is a very different series. They're, they're literally being hostile to mm-hmm. Picard in that one. So I think that it sets right. you up as someone right. who, if you're familiar with that, you go, oh, the show is doing something different here with this stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I th- I don't know if you quite get that as much in Voyager because the stuff they're dealing with is like direct, you know, because at the beginning of Deep Space Nine, yeah, it starts with Picard and the Borg, but then it's it's from that point it skews off into its own thing pretty quickly mm-hmm. for the most part, like to the point it's it's the stuff they're doing is new enough that you're not missing anything. Um if you haven't seen like the other Cardassian episodes or whatever of TNG, this one, it's kind of like they are specifically using a concept and idea that is pretty, a pretty deep cut of Star Trek lore as like kind of the basis for their show. And so it surprises me, but again, they iron that shit out so quickly mm-hmm. that maybe it doesn't even matter. Yeah. Like maybe that's why, you know, maybe maybe it's actually it's it stands to be worse for people like us who have been dealing with the Maquis across three shows now, yeah, yeah. and all the different 
kind of things that are going on with them to see that sort of like sidelined maybe it's stands out more to us than it would to someone who comes in um more or less blank yeah and just sees oh yeah these people don't like each other they used to be federation okay now i guess they're now back in the federation again yeah no i I agree i think that's a good point james mclennan says as star trek pilots go this is one of the better ones the characters are the strength of the episode and the saving grace of the series as a whole and they're largely drawn in a way that is consistent with how they'll be portrayed i don't think voyager has an equivalent to tng season one angry picard Overall, this is a somewhat perfunctory episode whose average plot is a vehicle to get the two crews stranded. It's typical to make the obvious complaint that the Maquis crew assimilated too quickly, but if you take it for what it is, then you have a generally positive experience. Three out of five. That Kid Ben says, New to track and Neelix responding, that's an impressive title. I don't understand any of it. Sums up my thoughts on the franchise. I think it'd be cool if Starfleet uniforms were made of a synthetic latinum so they can't be replicated and always earned. It's a beautiful sentiment when Tuvok won't make Neelix one, but the idea it presents is destroyed by putting the Maquis into uniforms. Four out of five for that reason. It's true. Tuvok just you know, didn't like Neelix right from the start. He's not going to give him that thing. <laughs> he respects that. I think I, I don't like Neelix's design. Yeah, he, he looks like a, t- he's a like, tiger person. <laughs> he looks like a furry, yeah. like a horrible furry costume. And the 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 out the clothes he's wear, he seems like they just watched the mask and yeah. designed a like you know I can see him on the poster being like Bleh! you know he's the <laughs> and I I think he needs to be a little bit more um, slippery than that. And not just sort of like he he's clearly going to be like the comic relief guy. Yeah. And I don't really know if we need that in our lives so much. <laughs> Barry Wallace says it's the second best pilot after Emissary. Thank you, Barry. Does a really good job of introducing the characters in the ship and it gets us to the Delta Quadrant in a somewhat believable way. I remember watching the premiere back in 95 and being really excited when it was over. It seemed like they were going on a Trek version of a Dungeons and Dragons style quest to find the caretaker's mate. Super exciting. Spoiler alert, that's not the path they choose to follow. Either way, it's so much better than Enterprise, and I'm looking forward to listening to you guys break it down. Four dried-up old caretakers out of five. Thank you, Barry. We'll be getting through this post-haste. You know, I know I, I've seen part of the finale, like the series finale. Endgame. And maybe I'm just misre- Endgame, yes. Maybe I'm just misremembering it, and I don't think that I am. Um, I'm surprised they didn't go back to the the well with this thing and be like oh yeah we found the thing remember the, that sister we talked about seven yeah, the second seasons? caretaker yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah we found him like you know i don't know it, i would have had them found the second caretaker like, on earth and been like god damn it like of all the places you yeah, could have found son you son of a bitch <laughs> it's always the last place you look what it's do like you mean Karkis. the second caretaker had the key to my house <laughs> and i've been dating him for three years um but you know i think actually that would have been an interesting situation because i think that's where your choice thing would have been uh um a a good place to put that so like if your series finale is you have voyager meet up with the other caretaker who has the ability to send them home and then you put janeway in a position where she has to choose between whether or not they send them home and like a planet dies or something yeah and i think that would be really interesting yeah um i know that's not what they do but it's a bookend. It's a potential bookend. Jonathan J.K. Morris says, beginnings are always fraught, but the characters are mostly acted intact and no huge changes even until the very end of season seven. But it's that double-edged sword of the show's writing consistency. 
Speaking of which, Janeway's speech where the undetermined number of Maquis are made Starfleet officers off camera instead of over the season, immediately throwing away the main conceit of the show that the two other Star Trek shows helped set up. Fascinating squandering because of UPN's understanding of its audience. Four lost, lost Maquis Raiders out of five. Tom House what, says... What does that mean? Do they, do they not... Is it like a known quantity that people don't really give a shit about the Maquis as stars as far as fans of the show go? You mean for UPN's understanding of his audience? Yeah. I, th- I think that he means that the uh, executives would have wanted them to just give up on this fandom idea of the Maquis being different and just make them all Starfleet characters. The Berman argument that they just need to be Starfleet characters. That was only... That was lower on my list of things that I wanted in this show. They <laughs> seemed to not do the other ones until a few seasons later. My Long my list. Dr- my drunk stepbrother couldn't understand the heady profit nonsense you were talking about in necessary. <laughs> this wife's guy, this guy, wife's uh, wife's dead. I don't, I don't understand any of that. Just I told, simple. I told him that in the first episode. I told him in the first episode of DS Nine. Don't worry, you're gonna see a couple of big orbs. And uh, he unfortunately, <laughs> he thought I meant something else and not profit glowing balls. <laughs> Even saying that, I, I understand now the miscommunication. I apologize to my brother. Michael, Michael Rick Berman, co-creator of the show. Can we, can we just not confuse my brother? It's probably all where it This came. will be the first of many requests over the next few seasons, but let's just start off clean so my brother will talk to me again. Tom Heil says... Caretaker, my favorite Trek debut episode, starting with the stylistic trappings of the TNG era, era, but with an epic, almost movie-like tone. Five out of five. Neelix, the Kazon, and the Ocampa are effective in making the Delta Quadrant feel very different, a more primitive part of the galaxy, very far from the familiar neighborhood seen in TNG. Setting the seeds for the conflict with the Maquis made for a skillful transition from TNG to avoid making the setting just another Starfleet crew and more of the same. That said... I always thought it was a strange coincidence that a ship thrown to the other side of the galaxy just happens to be designated Voyager. That's the theme for you. Christian Mm. Pouch says, the best producer... You know, I was just going to say, much like the idea of the second caretaker, I can't wait to see how uh, uh, Rick Berman's brother, this new character we've created, (laughs) never shows up again for the rest of the season. (laughs) Also thematically appropriate. Be fun to check back in with him from time to time to see how he's enjoying the show. (laughs) Christian Pouch says, The best-produced Trek pilot at the time, Caretaker, has a very strong premise but lacks the clear character definitions present in something like Emissary, or at best, it fails to really delve into them. There's plenty of silly here, but the Delta Quadrant has a good wild feel compared to what we've known before, even if they'd never heard of harvesting water from comets. Unfortunately, they rushed the ending in the Maquis integration, a taste of what's to come when they drop plot lines that they should have kept focus on. Four out of five. Grapple John Zorn says, Well, they got the doctor right. Two nonsensical disjointed vignettes out of five. The first negative. Wow, that's it. Yeesh, yeah. Patrick Seba says, caretaker, study, study. You left us too soon, sensual and sarcastic, now replaced by gloom. I do not know why they sent her to die and left us piloted by buffoons. Two black betazoid eyes out of five. Cal Barrett says, doesn't seeing DS9 again in all its grainy SD glory make you just want to watch that show instead? 
Voyager has a brilliant premise and the best moments of the episode are when it takes advantage of that rather than the fairly lame sci-fi plot of an old man with a banjo systematically raping his way through the known galaxy. The character introductions are great, but they all happen a little too fast, and I'd rather spend more time grounding the characters in their world before pulling them out of it and sticking them in the Delta Quadrant after 20 minutes. The concept of an integrated crew is great, but rewatching this episode, I had forgotten who were originally Starfleet and who were Maquis which shows how little it'll matter to the series. Overall, the premise and the character setups get a 4 out of 5. The plot strays into 2 out of 5 territory. And so overall, Caretaker is the first of many Voyager 3 out of 5s. Maybe uh, maybe that's what we do. We set our next goal at $1,500, we will jump ship off of Voyager and do Deep Space Nine again. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be down. Some of those early episodes didn't have good audio quality. Just to go back and fix that. It's like a yearbook photo. Matt Ross says, you start here to hear people, our $1,500 goal. That's it. Matt Ross says, when I first saw this at the original <laughs> premiere, I was excited and interested by the crawl and wondered what the heck was happening to the ship of unknown people like the guy intently fixing the lights behind Chakotay and why the Voyager had to even go there. This two-part episode does a pretty decent job of explaining the characters from the new captain, uptight, fast-walking Janeway, the noob Kim, the swarmy, branded Locarno in Paris, the reluctant rebel in Chakotay, and the first sleazy... And the at first sleazy Neelix, the Kazon with their bad hair seem pathetic and the caretaker's plan not well thought out, which upon reflection makes sense as he is the reason for the destruction of the Ocampan planet. Janeway's reason to stay, however, makes the least sense. She could have at least gone and planted multiple remote bombs if she was concerned, but even so, the Voyager's involvement is so light. I almost get the impression Janeway doesn't want to go back to her fiancé and dogs. Overall, a good start of a stranded ship with limited supplies and two crews. A solid three out of five. Jonas says, Caretaker, the series premiere was pretty good. Janeway's a good captain, and Picardo's character is charmingly cantankerous. CF Bones. In structure of pilot, in structure of the plot, at least in part, recalls that of the original pilot of TOS, a crew forced into a simulated environment and experimented on by unknown agents. My greatest issue with the episode is that the plot seems all over the place. Too many characters, races, places, quadrants, and so on. But I suppose you have to expect that from a pilot that sets things up. An angry blue uniformed guy in the beginning who distrusts Paris looks like Kevin Nealon. Two out of five. <laughs> Benjamin, Isn't it weird that Robert Picardo's last name is Picardo? Yes. And he's got a haircut very similar to John Luke Picard's. <laughs> is there something there? It could be. He's, he's, it's destiny or something like that, I think. It's one of those things, Picard, <clears throat> Bob Picardo. No, yeah. No, no name really. When drops are we going to get like, after after Star Trek Picard goes cancels after the third season or ends after the third season? They should shift to Star Trek Picardo and just be like a day to day seeing what's up with Robert Picardo. <laughs> just the behind the scenes with Bob Bob Picardo. I could see it, mm-hmm. or just make it a Hawaii Five O crossover and call it Picardo and have him be no one like that at all. Like that would work. Benjamin Espinoza says, after Enterprise, this was like watching a Shakespeare production. Fine performances, except for, except for Harry Kim. Clearly defined. Yeah, well, I'll get back to that. Clearly defined archetypes and a genuine sci-fi mystery. Don't worry, Neelix will grow on you. Great start to an underrated series. Five corn on the cobs out of five. What did you think of Harry Kim? Nobody ate them. She made so much corn so and much nobody corn. ate that corn. I know. The blob will eat them. Um... Oh, Kim's- by the way, my favorite part of this episode, the two episodes, is when Janeway sees the blob for the first time. The look <laughs> on her face is amazing. She's just like, 
<laughs> she's like trying to keep it together, but she she's clearly registering that this is a, a talking amorphous blob. It's great. Do, does she have his corpse at the end? Does is that like in her ready room? The little stone yeah, that he turns maybe, into? Yeah. Okay. I guess. Yeah. Uh, Harry Kim, I uh, Harry Kim's a mm. focal character here. I liked Harry Kim in this. I thought he was a pretty decent audience avatar type character. Mm. What'd you think? Yeah, I I liked him. Um, it's it's just so strange because they sideline him in such a weird way. But at the same time, I wouldn't want him to be like front and center in the action because he's just you know he's a dumb ensign. He has nothing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think he works. I think he works well in the role that he plays, which is the audience's inroad to the show, and then later kind of works as kind of a emotional motivation for Janeway. Um, not just him, but like he's that um story that she tells about talking to his mother and stuff is is like a nice little emotional beat for Janeway. So I think I think he works out pretty well. I just I don't know all that stuff when they're walking around learning the secret history of the underground people is kind of kind of boring to me yeah. but royo says we get introduced to nicholas lacarno renamed tom paris however as the star trek franchise already owned lacarno given that ron moore wrote the character on staff and would not have to pay him royalties to use it it remains a mystery to this day why they pointlessly changed his name since tom paris and lacarno have practically identical backstories it's somewhat pointless to pretend they're different characters so it's interesting to see a talented leader whose career and life were very thoroughly derailed to be given a second chance in Starfleet. That said, the Voyager arch nemesis Banjo Man torturing the crew with his music and medical experiments is pretty ridiculous, and using the LA Convention Center as a stand-in for an alien planet was not impressing me as I've been there many times. I've heard this episode <laughs> criticized repeatedly for Janeway standing them all, stranding them all in the Delta Quadrant because she didn't think to use a bomb with a timed fuse, but now that I rewatch the episode, I can see that the array clearly has technology far beyond the Federation's comprehension since it can link different galaxies together and accidentally doom planets the array is also soon to be surrounded by the Kazon and the method used to get across the galaxy killed a great deal of the voyager crew the decision to destroy the array before they overrun is not the show's original sin i was told it was three out of five yeah how uh, nope i would think the question would be when janeway is like send us back how come chakotay or someone else is like hi yeah when we got here, half the, our crew was murdered. Yeah, by well, the they weren't sitting they, down. They didn't have the a chance to, to buckle. The <laughs> they didn't have a chance yeah, to buckle right. up. <laughs> so, like, I mean, the ship might make it, but I don't think anybody on the ship will survive the yeah. trip. I think the first officer was like mid-run, and they jumped, and he just smashed his face into the, mm-hmm. the panel. So that was the end of him. Brandon Howell says, yeah. we're almost, uh, only a couple comments left. Brandon Howell says, a confusing start to a confusing series. Why are Harry and Bellana made ill by the caretaker, and how are they mysteriously healed? I hate the whole working bee scene almost as much as I will come to hate the Kazon. Janeway bites off her lines like, I'm the female captain, and you must listen to me. The ship's one doctor and the entire nursing staff get killed. Yeah, right. Neelix is a very sketchy dude, and Tom Paris saying that Chakotay owes him, owes him his life is just plain offensive. Three exploding arrays out of four. <laughs> We're redefining. Wow. Really? Redefining. Really pulled pulled the stick up on the plane at the end there. He did, yeah. Just land, landed gently. <laughs> Andrew Cherlog says, A strong pilot that sets up a great premise. Having the moral question of the array in the Kazon Ocampa Force is a tough decision. The only real awkward aspect is them not being able to use the Nicholas Locarno name due to copyright dispute. Strong opener, though they would chicken out later on. Three out of five. Can you expand on that? Do you know any of that, the history of that? I don't know yep. what that so, is. So Robert Duncan McNeil 
played a character called Nicholas Locarno in TNG's First Duty, which is that he's one of the cadets mm-hmm. who gets in trouble with Wesley Crusher at the academy because they do an illegal maneuver and they try to cover it up, so they lose, they they all get punished sure. for that. The original concept is sort of the pop culture thing that I don't actually know is true because Royo is disagreeing with it, but some people mentioned it, is that the original idea was supposed to be that this character was going to be Nicholas Locarno as kind of a redemption arc for that oh, character. And mm-hmm. so that's why they cast Duncan McNeil because he is that character here. And the pop culture thing is that it was some sort of royalty thing where they didn't want to pay to use that character name. So they just renamed the character, but kept him exactly the same. Huh? I wonder. Yeah. I wonder why they would have to pay royalties on a character that was in the show that they produced. I don't know. Don't know. As I think that's Royo's point is that it was, if it's written by a staff writer and it wasn't from a pitch, then I don't know what it would be. I don't, but, but that's the yeah. um, the general sense of what the story is. And then the final comment, I think, yeah, Kieran Simmons, new patron, says, good cold open, and this series has the best opening credits both musically and visually out of all the series. Surprising how much of the pilot centers around Kim and Paris given how irrelevant they become. Tuvok is a good Vulcan, and Neelix is not that annoying yet. Good costume, too. The Kazon are unsavable from the beginning, but overall it's a good start to a series. Echoes of Emissary in the setup in The Caretaker aliens thanks everybody there was a lot of comments on the opening episode for voyager called caretaker everyone seemed mildly positive on it no one seemed extremely positive no one was really down on it so clay on our scale of one to five what are you going to give caretaker the pilot for star trek voyager um i'm gonna go with a three uh i think the as i said the, the characters i think are really great right off the bat um, it's just, yeah, it's, I, the, the, the name of this show feels like it should have been Star Trek Cruise Control mm-hmm. because that kind of feels like what they're doing here. Like coming off of Deep Space Nine, which is like too heady for people or whatever, <laughs> and knowing where we end up with Enterprise, yeah, this feels like, this feels like the franchise sort of like clicking it into neutral and just coasting for, coasting for a while where they're like they're not really shaking it up that much and there's there's plenty of stuff that you can like uh um recognize yeah um despite despite them having a really kind of novel concept uh even the but yeah the, even the episode itself is like just kind of middling for me outside of the characters themselves which I do really like so far yeah, I was a little upset with reading the Memory Alpha thing about how much Michael Pillar was like, we just want to make this like a little bit more of an action adventure show, like get away mm. from the the sort of, if not to call it heady, like the sort of like philosophical stuff. And not, I don't think this is a decision that pays off for the franchise, quite frankly. Like if, if that, that does not no. seem to be the way that it worked. It's, if not knowing much about Voyager, but knowing that, that that's, to me, a description of what Enterprise was trying to do was that kind of thing, and yeah. that was not yeah. that was not successful at all, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't even think that that applies to this episode. Mm. Like, if that's like I said, if that's what they were trying to do, I don't think they really pulled it off because there's still plenty of just hanging around, walking in hallways, and talking about shit. Like, it doesn't even get quote unquote exciting until the last act of the the the. The, the two hour movie or yeah. whatever. I think so the first I think the first bit is actually kind of exciting. I like I like the opening of this episode. Yeah, the most. yeah like, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I like that stuff. 
good opening and i mean you know but as far as like the the uh like really kind of like the starfleet guys being active and stuff that doesn't really happen till late into the show you know it's just it's uh and it didn't it didn't feel any more or less actiony than yeah say like a tng episode or something but yeah i'm gonna give it a three out of five too um i enjoyed it mostly i am uh i'm a bit relieved that the characters are seem much more likable than enterprises characters mm. like a couple of people have mentioned this in the Patreon comments too. Um, I find that will go a long way for Voyager. I think. Yeah. I think uh, so. As long as you have characters that you kind of like, you can you can deal with some middle, more middling episodes. Um, I didn't find the Enterprise characters did that, but I, I like the setup. I think the characters are all well drawn. I think that even if they're not having interesting scenes or a plot between them at this point, I liked them interacting with each other. I thought that there was some mm-hmm. like juice to st- some of the stuff that was going on there. So I like that. I don't care for the caretaker plot. I think it was boring and generic and not particularly suited for what the show was trying to do as a pilot or as a series. So I'll just give it a three out of five because I thought it was fine. I thought it was okay. Emissary is still better yeah. as a pilot. That's my final thought. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right, we're done. Thanks, everybody. Patreon.com slash the Pensky file. That's the final time I'll say it for this episode. All the Picard season two episodes are going to be up there, and you get to ensure that we keep covering Voyager. Thank you very much for listening. Clay, do you have anything you want to say? Uh, thanks for checking out, and keep checking out the Rotten Horror Picture Show, the horror movie podcast that Amanda and I do, where we talk about movies off the Rotten Tomatoes 200 best horror movies of all time list. And on Patreon, this year we are doing. Uh, junior varsity and or B team Stephen King adaptation movies. Uh, I don't know what month are we in March right now? Is that this will be the end of February? This comes out end of February. So at this point, we'll have done it chapter two in January. February is Silver Bullet, and uh, March through November are going to be random, and then December will be the 1990 TV movie of it, which um. I did look up, and I believe that that was one of the back in the day where it was like a two-tape thing, yeah. you know, where you go to the video store, and it's like it's so Chunky. big it's two VHS tapes, yep. which is the mark of like a long movie. <laughs> um, I believe the entire the entire uh, 1990 television miniseries is like maybe 25 minutes longer than It Chapter 2 by itself. Oh, okay. It's it's Sit long down. movies are not what they once were, you know. <laughs> you guys can check all that out on Patreon. Thank you everybody for listening. Hope you enjoy it. We're looking we forward might have, to I think we might have Badass back at this point. I'm not entirely sure. Either way, Badass will be coming back if it's not already with Batman Beyond. Yeah, we'll, yeah, um, yeah. If you've gotten Sean's recording, it'll be back at this point. Yeah. So uh we will be doing that for the foreseeable future. Cool. Guys. Thanks very much for listening. I'm, I was, uh, I was happy to start Voyager. I would be going into it. It's like, Oh no, another Star Trek series. But I, I thought it was, it was fine. It was, honestly, the worst thing about this one is that it was a double parter. And I, I was kind of like done after one mm. episode. I was like, ah, that's, a, that's enough. I feel like uh, it's too much. So the next one, which is I think called parallax, I'll be interested how I feel about a, just a 42 minute Voyager episode to see how that works Ooh. in and of itself. I hope that's I hope that's about when they have to 
square off against an evil Hal Jordan after he's killed all of the other Green Lanterns and stealing all the ring power for himself. Well, luckily, Neelix wears a bright yellow costume and he can't be affected by it. So it's all fine. Yep. Yep. That's that's what they're building towards. Thanks, everybody. We're done. Dumbest dumbest thing in comic book history maybe that the green lantern's only Can't. weakness is the color yellow <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah super i guess superman had some backstory there it's a rock but it's a, a, a rock that he knows it is kind of a weird thing what can he do? He just can't I mean, touch you, anything that's yellow. He can't like. I I honestly I don't think it? the ring. Yeah, I don't think the ring works on it. So like, if you rob a bank wearing a banana suit, you're gonna get away. Because <laughs> isn't the evil lanterns? Are they not yellow? Is that not their color? They are. Yes. They are yellow. Yellow okay. is the bad ones. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Can yellow work against green? Great question. Well, I, I hopefully we'll cover it next episode. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned, everybody. Parallax comes up, and we're going to talk about power rings and why the charging is inefficient. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next time.